If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in a couple different passages this morning. So you know, I say this often, but it's a little different message this morning. So the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Commission, understanding our radical purpose that God has given us to fulfill his commission that he has given to the church. Uh, to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, make disciples of all nations. So we set it up a couple weeks ago in looking at Matthew chapter 28. Uh, This is really some of Jesus' final words to his disciples, his apostles, to the church, to go forward and do what I've called you to do. Uh, Last week, we talked about how we've been commissioned by his grace and with his grace. And this week, it's kind of a culmination of all of those and just kind of wrap it all up together. And really, this series is an introductory series into next week, which is a new series. We're going to be going through the book of Acts. And as we go through the book of Acts, as we journey through the book of Acts, we're going to be doing because there's a lot of different breakdowns and divisions within that book. And the very first series is Come Alive. And it's all about the empowering of the church. I'm excited about that. So today's message really kind of sets the stage for next week and kind of wraps everything up that we've talked about in the past couple of weeks. And and again, it is kind of a challenging call, challenging message this morning. So we'll look at three passages of Scripture. We're probably going to look at them at the beginning, and that's probably all we're going to look at. I want to read those verses again. Then we're going to be in Mark chapter 16. And then Acts chapter number one. So Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16. 28, the Bible says in verse number 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, we talked about this, that even today, some worship and still doubt who Jesus is, what he came to do. Verse 18, this is the commission. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He talks about his authority here that he talked about thus far in the book of Matthew. Go ye therefore and teach. teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Lo, I am with you all, even until the end of the world. Then in Mark chapter number 16, Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, Jesus said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Again, this is a continuation of that commission, just in a different aspect from a different perspective. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, shall they cast out devils, talking about the apostles and the supernatural authority that was given to them. But talking about all Christians, all believers, not just his apostles, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then in Acts chapter number one, where we're going to be next week, Acts chapter one, verse number seven. And he said to them, it is not for in which the Father hath put in his own power. Verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall... Sorry, my context. Let me read that again. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Again, that was Jesus' commission to his disciples, his apostles, and the church. Let's go. We thank you so much for another beautiful day that you've given us to come and worship you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we kind of wrap up this series, this mini-series that leads into next week, the series Come Alive, the Empowering of the Church. And so where we are, the theme is for church and understanding what we are called to do. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with our country and all the unrest that is going on. that we have would be called because the gospel changes lives. You change lives, Lord. I pray that you'd be with us. Help us go in the places that you have called us. It's about this commission that given his church. Last year, uh, right after my meningitis, I, uh, my wife and I, we went to Myrtle Kind of to sit and read some things that I've been wanting to read. One of the books that I read called Radical uh, by uh, David Platt, who's a pastor. Filling our commission for the church. And here are some things that I believe God wanted me to do with our church and kind of helped me inspired me, I guess inspired me a little bit with the theme of impact. But I want to read a couple things very quickly this morning before we really jump into the, the meat of the lesson, the meat of the message this morning to help us understand. This time he was the pastor in uh, New Orleans. You know, it's a big city and a lot of wickedness goes on in New Orleans, but they had a great ministry. Uh, to of the world, really, for the gospel to go be preached and taught and disciples to be made. And as he was with this other pastor and some of his deeds, and I want to the world and also the inner cities. He said, expecting them After an awkward silence, one of the deacons leaned forward in his chair and looked at me and said, David, I think it's great that you are going to all those places. But if you ask me, and I want you to listen to this, all those people and send them to hell. Now, this is a deacon in a Bible-believing church that is saying this to another pastor. You think, well, I can't believe he would say that, but I think there might be some even today that whether you're here, whether you're watching other places that might think these things as well. After a moment of silence, the rest of the room resumed conversation as if nothing out of the ordinary just happened. He said it got worse. 
The next morning, we arrived at the church building and the worship service began. The pastor rose to welcome everyone. And during his introductory remarks, he began talking about how thankful he was to be living in the United States. I'm not sure what sparked the rousing patriotic address that followed. But for the next few minutes, he told the church that there was no chance he would ever live anywhere else in the world. Amens were firing left and right from the crowd, engulfed in nationalistic zeal. He said, I was just waiting for Lee Greenwood to burst into song in the background. Minutes later, I got up to preach on going to. I walked down to the front while the pastor got up to close the service. These were his words. Brother David, we are excited about all that God is doing in New Orleans and in all the nations. We are excited that you are serving there. He continued, brother, we promise that we will continue to send you checks so that we don't have to go ourselves. But he wasn't finished. He said, I remember a time in this congregation when a missionary from Japan came to speak. He said, I told the church that if they didn't give financial support to this missionary, I was going to pray that God would send their kids to Japan to serve with that missionary. Wow. Did that pastor just threaten his congregation with punishment of going into all of the world? He continued, and my church gave that man a laptop and a whole lot of money. Apparently, the threat worked. Maybe I need to have threats for you guys. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the service was dismissed, and my wife and I climbed in the car to drive home. I could hardly believe the things that I just heard. A range of emotions consumed me, anger, sadness, disappointment, confusion. But as I began to process what had happened over the last 24 hours, I was struck by a frightening realization. He said, could it be that this deacon and pastor expressed what most professing Christians in America today believe, but are not bold enough to say? This may sound a bit harsh, but consider the reality. A couple more things to be done with this. He said, how many of us are embracing the comforts of suburban America while turning a deaf ear to inner cities in the need of the gospel? He said, Jesus commanded us to go. He has created each of us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I propose that anything less than radical devotion to this purpose is unbiblical Christianity. You see, God created us for a purpose. He created us to, to enjoy his grace, but he created us to multiply, to make his name known, to spread the gospel to those that do not know, have not heard what's going on in our society. And it's just, it, it's, it's scary. It's downright wrong what is going on. But it's very easy to think, much like that pastor and much like that deacon, that, man, I just wish God would annihilate people like that. But if they were annihilated, where would they go? More than likely, they'd go to hell. And hell is a real place. I think all of us are understanding of that and aware of that. And it's not something we should even want of our worst enemy let alone our brother or sister, friend or neighbor. And yet, how many of us, and I can put myself in this category as well, can become very callous towards the gospel. We're very comfortable with what we have, with what God has given us. 
You know, I've said before that sometimes we fail to thank God for what he has given us, for what he has brought us out of, right? From what he has saved us from. All of us have a different story here today. Some of your stories are really astounding and amazing of what God has done in your life and what he brought you from and through. I mean, that's us. He has given us a purpose in this world. Our purpose is not to live for ourselves. And a couple weeks ago, I made a statement that, as I said, it, it might have sounded contradictory. But I said that, you know, Jesus didn't die just for you. Now, let me explain again. It is true that Jesus, you, the great thing about Christianity is that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that separates us from other religions in the world. But D Jesus didn't die just for you. Stay with me here. You see, it's so irrevocably true that Jesus loves me, loves you. He died for me, died for you. That is true, but listen, it is incomplete. And this is where we get off track and falter. God loves us, yes, but he loves the world. He died for the world. John 3, 16, for God so love you, right? Is that what it says? It, now, it, what are the next two words? Doesn't really matter what version you have. The world. <laughs> the, everyone, God so loved the world that he gave what? His only son. Die for the sin of the world. You see, God loves us, yes, but he also loves the world. He died for the world. He gave his life for the world and he commissioned his followers to go into the world. Now listen, having a God loves me only attitude is what's wrong with Christians today. Hear me out. This is why when people look for a church, they often look for what's best for me. It, what's best for my needs What's best for my life? When we make plans, it's what's best for me, for my career. We consider our house that we live in. What's best for me? And I'm not saying we, we should just live anywhere. But what we do is we choose according to what is best for me, right? What is best for you? But this version of Christianity is what we see in our culture today, and it's really unbiblical Christianity. Yes, God loves you, but it's not so that you can do what you want. And it's not so you can live how you want and go to the church that best suits you, that doesn't preach on certain things, because you're going to get offended. God, he died for you to fulfill his purpose. He commissioned you to fulfill his purpose. You see, the problem that we have today is that we have a very self-centered, materialistic Christianity. God loves us so that we can make his name known, his ways, his salvation, his glory, his greatness to all nations. And if you're writing notes, write this down. God, so that you can fulfill his commission 
of making his name known through making disciples. You know, God created us, blessed us, saved us for a radical purpose. And it's very easy to say, but I'm not called. I've never been called to go to Bible college or be a preacher, an evangelist, or this or that. But if you're a Christian today, you have been called. You have been commissioned. You might not be a pastor like myself or Brother Don. You might not be a deacon in a church. You might not be a Sunday school teacher, but Jesus Christ has called you and commissioned you to go. Yet how many of us have kind of turned a deaf ear towards our commission? Well, I'm not called. But again, where in the Bible has missions ever been identified as an elective? You know, when you go to school, there are certain electives. An elective means that it, it's optional. You don't necessarily need it in order to graduate, right? You take it in addition to something. But missions in the Bible is not an elective, and yet we treat it as an elective. Oh, it's not for me. It's, it's, that's why we pay a pastor. That's why we pay a staff. That's why we pay missionaries. And like this pastor that I mentioned, you know, we'll send as much money as we can so that we don't have to do it ourselves. But that's wrong, church. Right, Brother Mike? That's unbiblical. And listen, it's, it's very easy. And I'm not calling us today to, we need to all go out and go everywhere else in the world. But it's very easy to think, well, what about here? God, God has called me here. This is where I live. This is my home. This is where I'm from. This is where my friends and family are. You know, people often don't go somewhere else because of the claim of, what about here? You know, God hasn't called everyone to leave everything you have, abandon everything, go somewhere else, pick up everything, go to another state, go to another country. But the point is greater than going somewhere else. People don't want to leave because this is where they are. But let me ask you a very challenging question this morning. How concerned are you about here? This is my home. This is where I grew up. I am from Wise County in Decatur. I am concerned. Well, how concerned are you really about here? Have you truly fulfilled your radical purpose of going into the world and making disciples? And maybe going into the world for you is just going into Wise County. But have you truly fulfilled your purpose, your commission of making disciples outside of your own family, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago? Have you invested in the life of someone else? Have you personally been able to lead someone to the Lord? Have you personally been able to disciple someone, mentor them, teach them, train them? So how concerned are we about here? I don't want to go to Africa. I would never go to Africa. I'd never go to Asia. I would never go to Europe. Okay, what about here? You know, last week I ended the message with that that question that that man in Africa asked, and he said, you know, I'm going to make an impact on the world. And the pastor was like, well, how? He said, by doing what Jesus called me to do. By teaching his word and training others. And the pastor's like, there's no way you can do that. You, you don't have the resources. In a, in a sense, here's what he's saying. You're a nobody. You don't know anyone. You don't have a big presence on social media. And remember the, the man in Africa, he had, made a, a two-word question, a two-word statement, and he said, why not? Why can't I make an impact? You know, he had the attitude that many of us need. 
Why not? Why, why not? Why can't I make an impact? God has called me to make an impact. He has called me with his commission, with his purposes. So why can't I do it? In Matthew 28, Jesus left the disciples and us with a powerful and radical commission. Go do the same thing to others that I have done for you. And the mega strategy of Jesus is this, go and make disciples. Making disciples, listen, it's not an easy process. It's tedious. It's messy. It's trying. It's difficult. It's slow. It's painful. But it's also encouraging, uplifting. It's joyful. It's productive. And one of the main reasons of all of this is because this, discipleship is relational. Meaning there's a relationship involved. It is relational. You have spent time with that person as Jesus spent time with his 12 and really the 11 as Judas betrayed him. But he had spent three and a half years on and off of his earthly ministry with those men, investing in them, training in them, teaching them to go out and live it. You see, we have been called to live for others, to serve others, to love others, to lead others. And as I've said many times over the past year, it's about intentionality to what is valuable. Who are you sacrificially leading? Who are you pointing to Christ? Listen, church, we will only multiply the gospel when we allow others to get close enough to us. Listen, we will only multiply the gospel when we allow others to get close enough to us to see the life of Christ in us. Let me say that one more time because that's good. We will only multiply the gospel by allowing others to get close enough to us to see the life of Christ in us, in action. It's one thing, as I've said before, it's very easy to post about things on social media. All of us are good at that if you're on social media. We're good about posting how much we love Jesus and how much you know we want his name to be spread. But that doesn't take much work. It takes a couple thumbs to type it. Are we allowing other people to truly know us and see the life of Christ in us in action? But the truth is, the life of Christ in action is not in a lot of us because the life of, put your name here, is in action. Doing what you want to do, going where you want to go. And here's what I want to bring about this morning. Look, going and baptizing as Jesus talked about in Matthew. It's part of the commission. They're crucial to disciple making. People have to be evangelized and won to Christ. And I'm thankful for those that truly are gifted in that. But the commission also implies the need for something just as crucial, teaching. Leading someone to Christ and seeing them baptized is awesome, but then what? Again, it's easy to think, well, I'm not gifted for teaching. There are some that have that spiritual gift that God has spiritually gifted them to teach. But we cannot relegate discipleship to going and sitting in a classroom under a gifted teacher. Sitting in a lecture style is beneficial, but those that are teaching are teaching, not because they're good at it, but they're teaching to equip. The reason I teach passionately sometimes is to equip. The reason Brother Mike teaches the teens and others is to equip, right? The reason Brother Don taught and preached was to equip, right? To give the people what they needed to go out and live the gospel. Now think about this. 
Again, it's a challenging, thought-provoking message this morning. But what would be the most effective way for a new convert, someone that just got saved, to learn to pray? Do you think putting him through an arduous series about, you know, the Lord's Prayer, and I'm not saying that's not important. It is. Bible studies are very important. I love Bible studies, and I'll get to that in just a second. But what do you think the best way to, to really teach someone that doesn't know how to pray to pray? Hey, go sit and listen to my pastor preach about how to pray for six weeks, and you'll be a great prayer warrior. Or maybe allowing them to come in your home and watch you as you pray to God. Watch you as you pour your heart out to God. Now, the teaching is important, yes, but what do you think is more beneficial? Maybe bringing them together, right? With you. Hey, come come with me, and hey, I, 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 I want to I show you how I pray and how I beseech God and how I call out to God. What about studying the Bible? Again, I love Bible studies, and they're, they're important. They're vital to our growth. It's one of my favorite aspects of being a preacher. And I, as I told you many times, I love the Wednesday night aspect and just diving deeper into God's word. They're vital to our growth. But honestly, Bible studies overwhelm me. And here's why. Because I cannot effectively get to where everyone is. You see, we have to move beyond the corporate growth model, and that's important, to the personal growth model. And by doing this, in effect, it raises the bar of our Christianity. I again ask the question, who have you personally led to Christ? Who have you personally discipled? Well, I haven't done anything. Well, why not? And I understand you hear messages like this, you hear charges like this, and some people are going to get amped up. They're going to get fired up and I'm going to do something. And some are like, nah, I'm not going to do anything. I don't really care. It's still not for me. Then we're missing out on what Christianity is all about. We're missing out on the full joy that God wants to give us. And we're missing out on really a thriving Christian life. And the crux of this whole series, this mini series boils down to this question. Write this down if you're writing anything. Are you a receiver or a reproducer? Are you a receiver or a reproducer? You know, I love that people take notes and I encourage that. But did you realize that taking notes is not enough? Why do we often take notes? Oftentimes, and again, this isn't wrong, we often take notes to to try to go back and study them and, and try to understand a little bit more, write down things that, you know, we can refresh our mind and memory. And that's good. That's important. I encourage that. But sometimes we take notes purely for ourselves. Are we listening to just receive for ourselves, or are we What if we move beyond a self-centered mindset of what can I get from this and go to a, hmm, how can I listen to God's word so that I am equipped to teach his word to others? You see, listening for yourself is important for your growth. But what if we move beyond just that to what can I get from this message, this series, this Bible study in Ephesians? whatever we're doing, whatever we're talking about, what can I take from this to someone else? Isn't that more Christ-centered? So are we a receiver 
or a reproducer. Again, in this book, the author shares a story of, I think the time he went to the Philippines and, and he went there and was just preaching and, and he was only supposed to be there for a few days and just a couple meetings and the people were just hungry for God's word. He ended up doing a whole uh, through the Bible study with them, kind of a Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, and they were taking notes you know, vigorously. And he was kind of amazed that somebody knows, he said, because we have people that need to hear this. The reason they were taking notes was to reproduce it, to not just receive it. You see, that's what we need to do. That's where we need to be, church. Eagle Drive Baptist Church can make an impact on our community and our world at the same time, but we have to move from the receiving to the reproducing stage. Imagine how much of a radical change this would be in our approach from pew sitting or chair sitting to disciple sitting or disciple making, sorry. God has called us to make disciples, not to sit in a pew, not to sit in a chair, not to come and serve when we want, give when we want, a couple things, do the bare minimum. That's what most people do. I do the bare minimum so that pastor will get off my back. The staff won't have to bother me. But did God save you for the bare minimum and that's it? No. He saved you for his purpose. For his glory. I understand everyone here is not going to go to a foreign country, to a foreign land. But where God has placed you, he has placed you to go and make disciples. And honestly, God has probably called some of us to go somewhere else. But we're not going to leave because it's all about us. And I could care less what God says. I could care less what God teaches. I'm not going to follow it because I am comfortable here. I have this house that I like. I have this family that I like, and I have friends that I like. But when you study the Bible, they were willing to give up those things so that God's name could go forward, so that God's glory could be advanced, so people could get saved. How are we going to stop riots? Not by killing them all and annihilating them all, by giving them the gospel, by preaching and teaching, people getting saved, disciple-making, happening. That's that multiplication. You disciple someone, they take what they've learned. They disciple someone else and someone else and someone else. And before you know it, it's like a wildfire that's been spread. In the late 1940s, I'm almost done. The United States government commissioned William Francis Gibbs to work with the United States to construct an $80 million troop carrier for the Navy. The purpose was to design a ship that could speedily carry 15,000 troops during times of war. By 1952, construction of the USS United States was complete. The ship could travel at speeds of 44 knots or 51 miles per hour, could steam 10,000 miles without stopping for fuel or supplies. She could outrun any other ship and travel nonstop anywhere in the world in less than 10 days. The SS United States was the fastest and most reliable troop carrier in the world. Probably even better than the Black Pearl. But there was a catch. The SS United States was never officially used to carry troops. Instead, she became a luxury liner for presidents, heads of states, and a variety of other celebrities who traveled on her during her 17 years of service. The SS United States stopped passenger service in 1969 and has been docked at Pier 82 on the Delaware River in Philadelphia since 1996, where it remains a popular tourist attraction. It has changed ownership several times recently, and no one really knows what to do with it at this point. 
Conservatives are trying to raise money to save this proud vessel before it rots away. But listen, can the SS United States teach us something about the history of the church? The church, like the SS United States, was designed for battle. You know, we talked about that on Wednesday. We are living in a battleground, not a playground. There's a difference between the two. And I love what David Platt says in his book. He says, the purpose of the church is to mobilize a people to accomplish a mission. Yet there's a problem. We've taken Jesus' command in passages like Matthew 28 and made it obsolete. We've turned the church into a luxury liner instead of a battleship. I think uh, Eden had posted a video a couple months ago about the difference of those two. We are called to impact the world by making disciples. And it sounds pretty idealistic, but the it's really biblical when you think about it. God has created us to accomplish a radically global purpose with our lives. And the formal definition of the word impact is this, a forcible contact between two things. So to illustrate this quickly, I need two people volunteering to come forward and run into each other. Anybody? All right, Mike and Mike, where are you at? Where's Eden and Jones? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do it. I don't even know where they're at. But we understand that two forces coming together, it impacts. Or if you're playing chicken with another car, please don't do that when you leave today. Please, please don't. But listen to me. Our lives a collision force with the world to impact the world. But how can you impact the world when you're steering away from them? You know, if you make an impact with something, it's going to hit, it's going to hurt, it's going to make a loud thud, it's going to make a lot of noise and damage. But really, we have been called not to necessarily make damage, but we have been called to make such an impact that, man, it it's a difference. If someone drove their car into this building at full speed, 60 miles an hour, it would make a difference in this building. Well, please do, we're not here if you do that. But it would make a difference, and that's what God has called us as Christians to do, to make an impact the world, but not to like, eh, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go around this situation and these people. I'm going to go around the disciple-making process. You know, impact is great. I'll give money towards it. And many of you have, and I appreciate that. We've been able to do many things with that. But again, God has called us here for his purpose, to fulfill his commission, to do what he has called us to do. Anything less than that is unbiblical Christianity. So I close with this. Are you a receiver or a reproducer? You know, I've said that we're, we're looking to, to make some efforts in our church. It's from the corporate discipleship. And every church, I believe, believes in the discipleship aspect. But it's more than just three or four services a week and expecting anything to happen. You know, we've, we've implemented discipleship a couple of years ago, I think back in the end of 2017 in our church in a more of a corporate level, but we're going to be taking that, and it's been a desire of mine for some time now. We're going to be taking that in the next weeks and months to a more personal level because I want people to really understand, just like just they were taught to then go out and live. And I, and I love how one person explained it to me in a classroom setting. When you study God's word, you kind of see this picture that 
when Jesus was here with the disciples and when he left, it was Jesus taught, the disciples watched. Then Jesus taught, the disciples helped. Then the disciples taught, Jesus helped. Then the disciples taught and Jesus watched. And that's the model that it needs to be that, okay, there's a teacher that is teaching you, you're watching, you're listening. But then it moves from just listening. And that's the thing. We have to move from just the listening stage to, okay, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to start helping out. I'm going to start doing some things. I'm just, well, I'll serve in the nursery every once in a while. It's, it's more than that. Teaching other people, doing small groups and, and Bible studies with people. And that's, that's some of our desires. And I'll get into that in the coming weeks. But it's moving from the being taught and listening and watching to being taught and helping. And then, okay, I'm going to teach. And then the one that was teaching me is just going to help. And eventually they're going to watch. And then I'm going to be able to do it all again. It's a cycle. That's what we've been called to do. So are we a receiver? Receiving the word for our pleasure only so that we can grow. And that's important. It is important to grow. But are we receiving to reproduce? And that's what I'm calling you to do. And it's not Chris Thorne's call. It's the commission of Jesus Christ. It's the commission that he gave his church. If we want to make a radical difference on this world, if we want to make a radical impact on this world, then we have to get back to Bible and doing what God has called us to do. It's one thing I've preached four and a half years since I've been here, that it's not my desire to do traditions for tradition's sake. It's my desire to be biblical in everything that we do and say. And it's very easy for churches to slide from biblical Christian-centered lives, gospel-central lives, to tradition-centered, comfort-centered, casual, complacent-centered, whatever it is. God has given us a purpose. He's given us a commission. And as we'll look at next week, I believe the church was started with Jesus and his disciples, but it was empowered there in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the empowering of the church when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were sent out. And it's amazing to think about that the world was turned upside down without internet, without radio, without a printing press, with just men and women so hungry for God's word, so desiring to please God that they were willing to do anything they could to get the gospel out. And yet we're willing to do anything we can to avoid giving the gospel out. Shame on me and shame on us. We have a commission. And it's time we fulfill our commission. What could this church look like if we actually fulfilled God's commission and lived radically and did what he's called us to do? Let's pray.